0: Right, I trust that you've been all devout followers of this sermon, uh, this service of, uh, of uh, we're, doing, we're doing, the series we're doing, I should say, that you've all read Revelations 2 and 3 uh, in preparation for this service. So I, I won't be doing the full two books as a reading, so just to save you the... Uh, just knowing, knowing that you already know it anyway, so, I mean, it's uh, we won't worry about that bit. Right, here we have... This morning seven letters to seven churches, which means seven sermons. This will take we said I reckon approximately seventy minutes. So I hope you've drunk plenty of coffee and brought lots of wine gums. So now, depending on theologians that you read, these letters are introduced and interpreted different ways. There's, of course, the literal way. They were written for the churches of that specific time with specific issues. Then there's a view where they are related to the churches of different periods in time as we go through and Caesar's prophecy of every period of the church going up to the return of Christ. Another is that it represents the seven main denominations within the church, which, den- which denominations they are, I didn't really look into. I will leave you to try and guess that. But I'm taking the first view, looking at it in a literal angle, literal angle, and I'm using information of, a, of the city's histories and the characters that that were uh, that they had. John has phrased his letters specifically to these these churches the referring to that history and to their characters. To help me with my main reference, I used a book called Revelations for Everyone by Tom Wright. I can highly recommend this book. Um, It uh, actually goes through the whole of the Revelations book in a a language that you can actually understand. Uh, It's very down-to-earth, but it also gives you a lot of the history and the characteristics of each of the churches that it's talking to. When we say being written in a language I understand, this is where really I'm going to start. If I said to you, if I talked to you about CPUs, ECUs, graphic cards, sound cards, USB ports, hard drives, software, malware and RAM... You probably know I'm talking about computers, either that or the name of some geeks' cats. But once we get into putting these into paragraphs, do you really know what's being said? Do you know the difference between a CPU and an ECU? What's the difference between a USB port A, B, and C? This is the problem that we have sometimes when we read parts of Revelations do we know why Jesus mentions wearing white clothes is it for more than just purity and what about the white stone comments phrases insults are all related to those particular churches and it makes it more personal to them You may recognize some of the famous cities from the Bible. Not just because they're in the Bible, but they have archeological status. And they're also used in other parts of literature. A point to note is that they're all called cities because in the Greek language, at that particular time, there was no word for town. You were either a village or a city. These being the sizes they were, Will recognise as being cities, though really for some of them, the name city was an understatement. They were huge. One other note is that when I'm going through this, I will be referring to what Jesus said, not John said, because simply because John was actually was actually recording what Jesus was telling him. So the seven seven churches. There's Ephesus. Which you can see on the west coast. It's a huge city, believed to be the capital of western Turkey, very wealthy and busy, multinational, and so multi-religious. Jesus speaks to them about being patient and hardworking, but that they were losing their compassion and love. Smyrna, I think that's up in the north, yes? Smyrna was a large and powerful, had a large and powerful Jewish community. It was a good trading town on many different trading routes. But Jesus was very much aware of the suffering those Christians were going through at the hands of those, Jew, those Jews. Because many of them had an aggressive disbelief of Jesus being the Christ. Pergamum. This is a city on a hill. It was famous for its religious stature and its unity. Everybody seemed to get on. Jesus spoke to the Christians about their steadfastness and warned about compromise. Thyatira. This city was proud of its fortifications and had never been breached right up until the Persians and King Cyrus We can read about that in the Old Testament. It had been 600 years plus since that breach, the only one, and the scars of that still ran deep. Jesus pointed out to these Christians that though they were active and had a long reputation of being such uh, good-moving Christians and claiming to be alive in the faith... They were actually dead. They were just going through the motions. Sardis, this city—I've just I'm sorry. philadelphia a city still in the grips of being rebuilt after an earthquake had destroyed half of it. They had even had aid from the Roman emperor because of how much devastation had been caused. Jesus spoke here of their endurance against the rogue Jewish community that was there, the Jewish the community that he called the synagogue of Satan. But he also informs them of the opportunities he was opening up for them, opportunities that would see their enemies cower at their feet. And finally Laodicea, a very proud and wealthy independent town they too suffered from an earthquake, not the same one, one slightly later in time. But they were so wealthy and so proud that they wouldn't take any any aid from Rome. Unfortunately, the Christians here relied too much on the wealth of their surroundings, and had become too comfortable. They were half hearted and apathetic. Jesus told them to wake up and smell the roses. That's the general gist of the seven letters. You'll be glad to hear that I'm not going to be uh, doing any more than just one of them. So, sorry, I might as well get my reading. The one I'm doing is the letter to Pergamum, which is Revelations 2, verses 12 to 17. who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some of the, who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with a sword in, of my mouth. He who has an ear, Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. My grandparents used to live in a small town in Lincolnshire called Sleaford. My sister and I We'd visit them every year. Occasionally, it would be with my parents, but at least once a year, we'd be go with them, go to, on our own to see them. We'd go to Lincoln. Now, if you know Lincolnshire, you'd know that it's flat. It's consisting mainly of Fenland, farms and RAF bases. But as you approach Lincoln itself, from miles away, you can see it because it sits on a mound even the cathedral spire is noticeable in fact it was one of the one things as a child i used to look for as we approached the city pergamon was like this though i imagine it was a lot more glitzy they were very pr- they were proud to draw in travellers and pilgrims and traders from afar each of the temples trying to outglam the other. This meant many religions, many interactions and many compromises. Is this, is this something that we sometimes see today, especially in certain areas of Christianity? Jesus calls this the city of Satan's throne or more descriptively, the the city of the accuser's throne. Later in Revelations, you'll hear it being referred to as the ancient serpent, a reference to Satan in Genesis. In this environment was a small group of true Christians. I say true Christians because they hadn't been tarnished by the city yet. They weren't just wannabes wanting to edge their bets. They were true to Christ. Though they lived in a city of flexibility. A city where multicultural just blended and lived together. The problem was that it did the same with their beliefs. Any religion could mix with any culture and so could mix with any cult. What the city didn't tolerate, though, were people who wouldn't join in. These true Christians kept themselves as pure as they could, and so they were accused of being antisocial, being prejudiced, being discriminative, something else that maybe sometimes we hear today. They'd also, they'd, the, the city would also try to coerce and mislead these, fellow, these followers in, way, in various ways that they could, entrapping them into their own cultures. Jesus used a reference from the Old Testament of Balaam and Balak as a good example. Balak was a king who hired a prophet called Balaam to curse the Israelites. Now Balaam, being a prophet, said, well, I can't do that. But Balaam also still wanted his money. So he suggested to Balak that he contaminate the Israelites by sending women in to cajole, manipulate and tempt the men, to help them compromise their beliefs, encourage them to feed on sacrificed food, to tarnish what God had made. They succeeded, and Satan was succeeding here too. Though, though, so through the so-called group of Christians called the Nicolaitans. Now, these were a group that followed the the teachings of Nicholas of Antioch. Believe it or not, he was actually a guy that was ordained by the, the by the apostles which you can read in Acts 6, verse 5. But unfortunately, Nicholas liked his old pagan rituals as much as he liked his Christian virtues. So he taught a a doctrine of compromise. Christianity shouldn't be isolated, but merged with paganism and Judaism. It's okay to have pagan rituals in the name of Christ and to eat sacrificial offerings. In fact, Nicholas had no problem with having black magic being used in a church service. Yeah. Yeah. Now you can see why these letters, in these letters that the word hate would be expressed. Jesus was really annoyed and frustrated with what was going on. The Nicolaitans were now covering the whole of Turkey. All the cities, all the churches, they were being infiltrated by these people. They were spreading their doctrine in such a way that it was subtle. Changes weren't noticeable to start with. Jesus wanted these true Christians that were still here to realize how serious this was but he was also telling them that he was giving them support. He wanted them to be like Daniel, who would not surrender whilst imprisoned, and he would give them that same strength and support. Each of these letters starts with an introduction that relates to what's going on in each of the cities, and it's there as a support before they even start speaking here Christ knows how he has to be ready to fight when it says we, we, we know that he's ready to fight for them when he says to the angel of the church of Pergamum these are the words the one who has a sharp double edged sword Jesus was saying here This is a warning to stop me from doing wrong. If you don't cut it out, I will. Literally. There is one thing about all these letters, though. Jesus does not condemn anybody. Jesus is not a a condemner. He's a convictor. He convicts these people of what is wrong and so then offers them a way out. In this case, part of that way out is a reward in the form of a promise. To anyone who conquers, I will give secret manner and a white stone with a new name on it, which nobody knows except the one who receives it. Pergamum was becoming a spiritual desert For these Christians their teaching resource was getting smaller and smaller fellowship was getting harder and these followers were finding it more and more difficult to see where this would end but Jesus said don't wait on the new preachers don't wait on people coming in to help you out wait on me I will feed you directly, take your nourishment from here, stay steadfast and just wait on me. As for the white stone, in those days a white stone was used as a pass into places that were important. The stone would have a motif or an emblem that would permit admission to wherever it was to go even into the temples Jesus was telling these people that they had permission to enter his palace the name on the stone is so new and so secret that it can't be forged it can't be replicated only the members can use it this is a guarantee we are all offered this is just one of six this is, one of the other. this is just one letter there are another six which are more fascinating I find as some of them are much longer passages I could probably spend another hour just talking about Ephesus and Laodicea but how is this, this letter relevant to us today Do I think that we are struggling, like those Christians were, in the world of Pergamum? I don't feel I am. I don't feel it at all. But isn't that just the point? You see, Satan cajoles, coerces, lies, manipulates, accuses and bullies. We have to be aware and alert, so not to be compromised in a world that wants to tarnish us to distract us even deafen us from the word of God back then sex immorality crude entertainment amongst other things were weapons used by Satan today it may be a little more subtle Those, though those other ones are still used social networking access to much more savour- unsavoury entertainment because there's less caps and limits to how we access them. Maybe these are the things Jesus will come to cut out. I am sometimes seen at work as being insular, uninformed, and a little antisocial because I rarely use Facebook, I don't have Netflix, And I don't tweet, though I've been told now that it's not called Twitter, so there you go. But then again, when I hear what some of the things they watch and they read, I can honestly say I'm thankful that God has sheltered me from it. We all need to be on our guard. Each of these letters expresses the disdain Jesus has for what's going on. Each of them, he doesn't hold back his disgust for it. But he also ensures everyone who heeds his warnings is safe, maybe a little tormented, humiliated, maybe even exiled slightly, but safe with him. To give you some idea of how the prophecies started to pan out, the area recognised as Ephesus, this mighty city and its area around that had a thriving church in Paul's day, one that he could not say much, much wrong about. Well, there is no public churches in that area anymore. Not one. The only city left of the seven that can be described as still being there, is Smyrna. And it is now called Izmir. The others are just remnants in wasteland, or swallowed up by a town nearby. We are called to be in the world, but not of it. The separation that, A separation that is hard to define at times as the receivers of these letters can testify. But if we wait on Jesus, it is possible. Let us keep our white stones safe. Let us keep keep praying for nourishment, for protection and for guidance. But most of all, let us keep waiting on Christ. Amen.